Hello, and welcome to the Watch Reup on the Channel 33 podcast feed. My name is Chris Ryan, and I am joined live from a Bristol sound clash. It's Andy Greenwald! That, ooh, that was ooh, my sound work. clash voice. What's up, man? I like that. Remember the pirate radio days? Oh, yeah, of course. Down <laughs> blasting out the rhythm uh andy this is a special version of the watch where we're just going to do a short punchy recommend people some stuff to check out over the weekend some stuff that we've been messing with this week it's called the re-up probably only about 20 minutes um just tgif it uh and we want to just go through a couple of things that we really enjoyed this week or are enjoying right now um sound good to you yeah is, is number one through five the People versus O.J. Simpson? <laughs> that is pretty much no, no, number one through five. I definitely just think also I'm going to like start uh, learning a lot of like random statistics about different athletes so that when I walk into a room, I'm like, Kevin Durant! <laughs> you guys know Kevin Durant? 37 points against the Washington Wizards. Game-winning shot. 2016. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. What is the name of the commercial that they're showing all the time with Kevin Garnett as grandpa and Kevin Love? Oh, the, Meet like, the Hoopers, the basketball yeah. Scene? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so I'm just saying we should always remember things like that. So if, you know, when, when Kevin Love, I'm not going to say he's going to commit a double <laughs> homicide, but let's say, you know, maybe he jaywalks. Right. We can, we can be like, you know, the guy from Meet the Hoopers. Kevin Love from the Hoopers. Here, here's the thing, though. We're going to talk more about this on Monday. You and I are obviously super psyched about People versus OJ because we've seen more episodes than have aired, um, and we've enjoyed all of them. I just think this is fun, man. People are talking about the show. They're chirping. The ratings are good. People are into it. You know, people are taking very strong opinions on John Travolta's eyebrows. This is going to be fun. And uh, next week's episode, Bronco Chase, very strong episode. So we're not – that's not on our list, yeah. I guess, of today's recommendation. But if you haven't watched the first hovering... episode of OJ, you should watch it in time for next week's episode that you can be a part of the conversation. That's what this is yeah, all about. We need we need more Courtney B. Vance heads up in this. Let's talk about another show that is uh, that it, that is airing now. Surprisingly, since it is is quite an old show, um, also a little bit of '90s nostalgia. Uh, Andy, the uh, third episode of X Files season ten aired on I think Monday. Correct? Is it season ten? Is it like they should they should be forced to count the years they weren't on the air? This should be season twenty four. That would be kind of awesome. Uh, this one was called Mulder and Scully Meet the Worm Monster, and it co- it, it starred uh, Reese Darby from uh, Flight of the Concords as a, um, uh, well, I don't want to give it away, but it was it, there. It was basically one of the uh, X Files Monster of the Week episodes, and we had talked about this when we first previewed the, the X Files comeback a couple weeks ago, um, and you had mentioned that the third episode was rumored to be really good. And it really delivered. It was definitely the most uh, engaged and alert David Duchovny has seemed uh, on this new run. And it, the repartee between him and uh, Gillian Anderson was great. Reese was great. Um, it was a very, very entertaining, um, very humorous episode of X-Files this week. Do you remember um, the Royal Tenenbaums when uh, Owen Wilson was playing a, um, yeah, I don't know, like, a, like a young Cormac McCarthy type novelist? Yeah. And he's talking about Custer being killed at Little Bighorn. And then on the Larry King surrogate show, he's like, what this novel presupposes is, what if it wasn't? What if he wasn't? <laughs> yeah. I just feel like that is a dominant idea for television 2016. Which is to say, I know that everyone in the business's brain space is dominated by this idea of continuity as yeah. important burned baggage share universe but what i'm here to say is what this new paradigm for the industry presupposes is what if it didn't have to yeah and the parts that people want about the x-files i really think and maybe not the moldy scholarshipers 
I'm sorry, I have to go gargle with borax bleach for saying that, but maybe they don't want this. But I think the majority of people that made the X-Files a very, very mainstream popular show, they want they want some they want to be on their toes. They want some monster of the week stuff. You know, they want to investigate some things and move on. They want essentially the smart, surprising procedural that the show was. It's what allowed it to run for the first twenty three seasons or whatever the case may be. Right. So I think that's what they should have come back and steered into. Now, by the way, the ratings for all this reboot have been really strong, so we'll probably get season 27. I think they should do this on the Sherlock schedule where they just do three every 18 months. I watched, uh, because, you know, I know that I'd been joking about how I was not, you know, I I didn't watch X-Files because I I went out at night during the time it was on the air, but... I went but back and you went, when you when you say you went out you went out at night. I'm picturing Jamie Dornan and Gillian Anderson's other show, The Fall. You're like that's not you're cool. Like, hey, fam, I know you're watching the X Files season eight, but I just got to go out at night. I'm gonna go take a jog in Belfast. What do you think about <laughs> that, Mister President? <laughs> um, no. I didn't even need to put the accent ball on the fungo tee. You just started swinging. Um, I went back and been just watching a couple of random X-Files. The entire run is on uh, Netflix, which is a super convenient service people should check out. I'm also recommending Netflix. And uh, <laughs> I watched an episode from season three called DPO that was written by Howard Gordon, who went on to do Homeland in 24. This one uh, was about Mulder and Scully. They go out to Oklahoma to investigate a series of suspicious uh, lightning deaths. People who've been struck by lightning. And it turns out that there is a uh, disaffected young man out there who can summon bolts of lightning from the sky. And that person is played by Giovanni Rabisi! He is uh, dressed in a baggy Vandals, the band Vandals t-shirt, like Nitro Records. Like, and he just walks yeah. around in this like maroon, ugly uh, t-shirt with baggy jeans, uh, drinking beers and throwing his empties into a cow pasture. And it was a real like blast from the past to see Rabizi just going for it in a bit part on X-Files. You, you love Rabizi though. I mean, we I, gotta do. Be I love the that. Vandals too. This one was episode, it's called DPO. It's from season three. To be fair, first show you can think of that would not be improved by the presence of Giovanni Rabisi? I don't know, maybe Scorpion. It's kind of hard to imagine how he would you fit know, in. That's the dream team, you know? Because that's a tight ensemble. Yeah. It's actually that's like, a good how do you, question, the how answer do you, to that. How do you improve the, the closing lineup of the Warriors? You know what I mean? <laughs> that's right. It's a trick question. The answer to that is dad. Yeah. Fox's dad. <laughs> right. Um, Andy, uh, what's another thing? Doing, um, if you're talking about doing deep dives on the X-Files, um, the one that I would point people to, which I guess is now streaming on, what's the name of this obscure service you're talking about? The the Flicks, you can find Flicks old Net. TV shows. Yeah, you just you just type in shows and they come up. It's called Flickster or something. Anyway, uh, I would really recommend people checking out an episode called Drive. It's the second episode of the sixth season, and it's basically the origin story of Breaking Bad. Oh, because Breaking Bad creator Vince Gilligan uh, wrote the episode. He wrote a bunch of great X Files episodes, but. He cast Brian Cranston in this role, which is a very, very different role than the dad on Malcolm in the Middle. And it was actually tape of this episode that convinced AMC ultimately that it was okay to cast Brian Cranston as Walter White because they initially had been pretty resistant to it. So it's pretty amazing to watch this episode and consider all the things when you watch it. It's also just a good hour of TV. Look at the deep get from Greenwald. All right. That's great. Uh, that's, what's, that's what I'm here for. What's, the, uh, what's another thing you want to recommend to the folks this week? Well, look. Chris, I don't know if you know this, but, you know, I, I have a, a rich and robust podcast life away from you. You yeah. know, I, I think it's important for any relationship, any couple, really, to have some time apart. And, you know, once I did a recording with um, 
you know, I, I don't think this is news to you. I feel like I can tell this to your face. I did a recording with Juliet Littman, who I think you know. Yes. And she and I talked about um, a little show we watched called Top Chef. And here's the thing, though. And I, I think Juliet and I are going to talk about it again, maybe when I'm out in L.A. next. But this has been a really bad season of Top Chef. It's been very frustrating. And in times of trouble, in times of woe, and in times of poor food television programming, I like to turn to an old friend that I feel like I've never talked about, which is probably the best food show there is. And that is a web series on Vice's Munchies channel called Chef's Night Out. Are you familiar with this show? I'm not. I'm only familiar with the work of Action Bronson on Vice, the, the food the Oh, food sure. Well, I think he's... Yeah, I think he's on the same Munchies channel. So it's basically like we're, we're okay. in the same neighborhood. Because like the, the, the episode where he goes and, 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 and tries to find the perfect bowl of poke is my like one of my favorite videos I've ever seen on the internet. But that's also like kind of you know, drawn from your life experience as an Angelino because that's, right. it, that's at least 40% of what people do out there now, I've realized. Um, people are really, people are super into like furikake now, right? Like, you know all about that. You know, like peppers and seasonings to put on fish bowls. Yeah, but I feel like if the if the ingredients are pure and good and fresh, the flavors speak for themselves. <laughs> oh, wow, that's beautiful. Well, you'd fit right in on Chef's Night Out. No, you wouldn't. But here's the thing about the show. Here's why it's good. Because the thing is, you know, a lot of food TV is purely aspirational, right? Where it basically takes people who have a certain set of skills and then squeezes them into these boxes of performing um, hero narratives, basically, in unscripted reality program. You're trying to win a contest. You're not there to make friends. You're there to, you know, to overcome whatever obstacle is thrown at you at the last minute by, um, by Gail Simmons and Padma. The thing about chefs, the, the thing that that negates, for the most part, is the reality of a chef's life, which is that it is generally incredibly hard and punishing, and for the most part, you're either working your ass off or you're getting, like, blackout drunk to recover from it and eating a lot of food. So it's exactly, like, it's exactly does, like Bradley Cooper and Burnt. Yeah, and, like, the first three years of Gremlin. So <laughs> what this what Chef's Night Out does is it goes to really good chefs and really good restaurants and really good restaurant cities, and it meets them at the end of service with their buddies or wives or whomever, and then they go to their friends' restaurants where they proceed to get wildly drunk. <laughs> And then at the very end of the evening, they are brought back to their own restaurant where they ill-advisedly cook a meal for their remaining friends. And it's actually, it's, I'm making it sound debaucherous, and some episodes are debaucherous, but it's actually really fascinating because one thing that chefs do is they're very nice to each other. So when they go see their friends, you get a little insight into the way these people's relationships work. But you also see the generosity because they bring out the good stuff for each other. Yeah, I was and wondering, what kind of stuff the, do they cook for each other? Well, in general, like, they go to their friends' restaurants and they're like, well, we're just a little modest. We'll order a cocktail and, like, maybe some shishito peppers and just a light, light nibble. Yeah. And then they get crushed by their friends because their friends see the cameras and they're like, oh, oh, what do you know about uni toast for the whole <laughs> table? You know what I mean? If you want your fresh seafood ingredients. Um, no, but, like, the other thing about the show that's really good is they've made it international. So there's great episodes in Paris and London and Tokyo and Mexico City. So you kind of get a sense of the of the uh, the food culture in the cities that maybe you aren't able to visit. I'll throw a couple... What I'll, do you I'll, know I'll about the culinary traditions there. of Belfast, though, sir? <laughs> Where's the Belfast episode? Um, you know, it's interesting because some of them end up to be end up being duds, right? Like, there's this chef, Enrique Olvera from Mexico City. His restaurant Puyol, terrific. His restaurant New York, Cosme, terrific. His episode, is just like, I think I'll go have a small sip of mezcal with my wife. Daniel Patterson from Fon San Francisco just goes on a date with his wife to one restaurant and refuses to participate in the charade. Um, 
you contrast that with the dudes from the restaurant Joe Beef in Montreal. Oh yeah, I love those guys. Who go? They were on Bourdain. Those dudes. They yes, bring they truffles and butter everywhere they go. Not even truffle butter. They. That is that is what that is basically what they do. Like they make life seem like a supernova, like something that should only be lived in quick explosions that negate all life thereafter. It's pretty exciting. Um, but you know, it, it, but even like you know, when I've been in LA, I've gone to restaurants that Joseph Centeno has done downtown. Mm. It's not that exciting an episode. But anyway, you pick your spot. <laughs> Glad you're outlining all the ones that aren't good. I don't know why I'm doing that because I'm sort of forgetting some of my favorite ones. But start with Joe Beef and work backwards. All right. Yeah, the um, Joe Beef episode and, of uh, of Parts Unknown is also really good. Those dudes, those dudes know how to do it. Um, but but this is just in general, like this is a really fun show. And the best thing about it, in addition to watching people get crushed with unitos, is that every episode is ten minutes tough. Oh, perfect! Just like this podcast. So that's Chef's Night Out. Uh, Vice. It's on Vice, yes, the Munchies Munchies channel. Munchies.vice.com. All right, very quickly, let's go through these two records that we wanted to recommend to people, and we'll get out of here. One is old, one is new by people who are old. Uh, the first one is Massive Attack is back with the Ritual Spirit EP. It's the first time they've rich- released new music. I think that they had like that burial collaboration a couple years ago, right? Uh, I see you not nodding your head. <laughs> the last full length was in 2010. Okay, so and then they had like a burial remix that came out. Uh, but this is not only are they back, not only does this sound really like classic massive attack, just that creeping dread, amazing atmospheric back like music, but they brought two people that we are particularly fond of along with them, Roots Maneuva and Tricky. Uh Andy, we used to really, really ride for this nineties British Bristol trip hop sound. Yeah, that was that was a big deal for us. I feel like we didn't we see Massive Attack in Boston in, like, 97? I do think that I wrote some short fiction in which somebody's listening to uh, the first Tricky record and having, like, a relationship with an androgynous person. I can't remember. I, I Let me tell you something I can remember. <laughs> I, I, I do think that, uh, you know, when we were... Oh, my God, I was about to say this out loud. When we were periscoping with Bill the other week, um, we didn't actually say this on a podcast. We said this then, that, like, of all the great cultural erasures that make no sense, like, the fact that R.E.M. just has no bearing musically on, oh, yeah. on anything anymore is interesting. I'd take that a step further. Tricky was the biggest deal there was. Like, Max and K, when it came out in 95. Pre-Millennium Tension, For too. us. Yeah. And Pre-Millennium Tension, like, those were the biggest records of those two years in many ways. Like, we were much more moved and, and, and wilding out to those records than we were to, like, Oasis or even Superchunk for a minute there. Um, and yet it's not really spoken about like that whole, I mean, it sort of devolved into like, um, you know, like AT&T commercial background noise. Kind yeah. Of well, it be, a whole, lot whole of that stuff like that was, was that post or yeah, it was like post Bjork album <laughs> tricky. The first two massive attack albums. Uh, there was a bunch of other stuff around them where it just became the standard music you would hear. If you walked into any coffee shop or clothing boutique in New York, London or hotel lobby. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Or hotel lobby. And uh, Teardrop became like a ha- the house theme song. So it's just, uh, or is it Teardrop or was it Angel? I can't remember. But anyway, the, no, Teardrop. yeah, the, like that music just became wallpaper. So it was kind of interesting to go back and Tricky sounds great. And these, these tracks sound great. I am actually a fan of late period Massive Attack. Um, the album before this that they put out was called. The Broken Windows one? No, uh, Heligoland. Which is named yeah, after yeah, that was the one in 2010. Yeah, and I really, really like that one. That has um, 
Tunde from TV on the radio is on that, I think. And Damon Albarn. And Damon Albarn's on, on that. So that's a really good record. People should, should check for that. But this is a this EP, uh, Ritual Spirit, is is really good. It's really dark. It's very claustrophobic and paranoid, which is what Massive Attack's good at. It's just worth noting. I mean, we just went off on a jag about Tricky, but basically Tricky broke with them after yeah. their second album, after yeah. Protection. And so a lot of the verses that he puts on Protection, which is a, still an unbelievable record, he then just took for himself on Max and Case. There's a lot of overlap between those records. And it would have been great to hear him on the last 15 years or plus of Massive Attack songs. And last 23 but, years but, of X-Files, still, yeah. But I, I would, but I still feel... There's still something a little weird about Massive Attack, right? Because right after we saw them in Boston, the third member, that could do Mushroom, left. And I feel a little bit responsible for that. But then, you like, feel Daddy G left, too. Yeah. So I feel like we said something wrong to them. Because um, you remember, we went backstage for some reason, and we were, like, just hanging out on couches, and it's like, we had nothing to say to them because we were 20. Don't those guys, those guys were also smoking blunts the size of, like, small car engines, too, though, right? <laughs> That's that's true. It's possible we weren't backstage. We just hallucinated it. Yeah. The enormous amount of second and smoke we were ingesting. But Daddy G quit the group, came back post Heligoland, I think. Mm-hmm. Then it, it had just become 3D's weird. It's like, just 3D's, yeah, soundscape project or whatever. Just like lap, laptop project. Yeah. But, but Daddy G didn't touch this EP. So basically, this is all 3D's music, and then there's going to be another new Massive Attack EP with just Daddy G on it. Interesting. So it, it, it's, it's as if they have like... Um, you know, they're, they're, they're splitting custody oh, it's like, of their uh, band the child. One, isn't that like how Modern Family gets made with like one showrunner takes one episode, the other takes the other? Exactly. And the chubby kid gets all the best lines. It is exactly <laughs> like Modern Family. Um, um, but it's interesting. Okay, so like the last recommendation we wanted to make is, it's, it's sort of a, a sad one, but it is on Monday, the 10-year anniversary of Jay Dilla's Donuts album. It's going, I believe, going to be reissued on vinyl. Uh, there's a cool 33 and a third book about this record. It was made largely in the hospital in the months leading up to uh, Dilla's death, which occurred just three days after it was actually released. Um, this is... So because JD passed away so soon after the record was released, it becomes one of those things that's almost like Nirvana Unplugged, where it becomes a window into the last days of someone's life. I mean, I think people have been talking about David Bowie's Black Star in the same way. Um this far on, I it's it's you know while I still you know mourn for JD, it's cool to have something kind of a little bit detached from the context around which it was made. This record is still so good. I was listening to this, um, Stop the other day, the one with the JD Kiss laugh, and you know the thing about this record is it's kind of like um it's like it's not it's not dissimilar to say like a classic record from Guided by Voices where they when they would do genre hopping around on on these albums that had like 25 songs and you would just imagine not that they were all made by one band but that there were hundreds of little bands that had just contributed to this record and sometimes with this JD record you'll be this Diller record you'll be like oh my god like this is some weird Detroit funk record that I've never heard before and then it goes into this sort of psychedelic space rock or um glitchy electronic stuff it's just really really still such an incredible record it's so influential over people like kanye it's it's never a bad time to revisit can you say right before we started recording that you said something interesting you said you thought that that was like the in many ways it was an obituary for sampling in hip-hop as well yeah i mean i think they in some ways he's he's sort of the the end point of all the pete rock and premiere stuff that we grew up on where the sampling was taken to yeah. such a high level that you couldn't dis- discern between whether it was a sample or whether it was a live band. And, uh, you know, Just Blaze was a bit really 
big person with that too where you couldn't tell if he had the uh the blazettes playing or if it was a sample or if they were playing a sample but this is kind of like just this gorgeous tapestry of records that are looped together it's, it's so great do you feel do you, do you hear any influence in say kanye stuff now do you or do you just feel aesthetically i mean you when know he uses he i think though? i think uh fantasy for sure yeah and and bound is basically a dilla song yeah. Yeah. Um, Man, that, this, is, this was a somber a note. A somber note. Okay, so we recommend this week, OJ, X-Files, uh, the most recent episode that came out on Monday, and two records, mm-hmm. uh, Chef's Night Out on the Vice Munchies channel, and Jay Dilla's yep. Donuts, which is 10 years old on Monday, and the new EP for Massive Attack called Ritual Spirit. Both of those are on Spotify and I'm sure other streaming services, but you should you should give those people your hard-earned money. Uh, Andy, anything and how else? Big, how, how, big, how big were the blunts? that you recommended people smoke also? As big as car engines, sir. I don't like a question in my memory. (laughs) We'll be back on Monday or Tuesday with the regular episode of The Watch. We'll be talking to OJ and many more things, probably a little better call Saul. Please subscribe to The Watch uh, by checking out Channel 33 podcast feed. You can find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. Check out Jam Session. Check out all the cool stuff. There's a Coen Brothers podcast that I did with Sean Fennessy that's up today. Shout out to everybody. Uh, Have a great weekend.